Let's turn together, shall we, to um, Acts chapter 6 as we continue our, our journey through the life of the, of the early church. Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1. And uh, we're going to... Oops, one should actually be 1 to 15 on there, but uh, hopefully the text that comes up will be right. Um, we're going to do kind of two passages. First uh, bit, we're going to read chapter 6, and then we're going to skip over a chunk of uh, chapter 7 and then look at the uh, end of chapter 7. Thank you so much, Peter. Bless you. So we're beginning to uh, read at verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up all the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses has handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then moving forward to uh, Acts chapter 7 starting at verse 54, which picks up after a very long um, uh, dialogue by Stephen to the leaders of the Sanhedrin about God's plans and God's purposes. And uh, that ended with Stephen very much pointing the finger at the leaders. And when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he'd said this, He fell asleep, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this uh, account of the early church. Lord, I pray that you would help us understand uh, what's contained within there as we begin to unpack these words. Lord, teach us things that we need to know about Uh, your church here in Lynn. Teach us uh, fresh insights, I pray. Give us fresh boldness to be your church here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, over the centuries, the, the devil has used many different schemes to try and break the church to try and break that relationship that uh, God intends to have with his people. It might be uh, um, subtle twisting of his truths. It might be blatant persecution, killing of his people. It might be false teachings looking to um, move people away from really understanding the truth. But I believe that not necessarily a new tactic that the devil uses, but I think in this 21st century we face uh, a tactic that is very damaging to the church. And I believe that that tactic is one of busyness. Let me explain. You can almost imagine Satan in the heavenlies having a conversation with his fellow demons, saying to them, How on earth are we going to deal with this spread of the good news? How are we going to stop people coming into that close relationship with Jesus Christ? And you can imagine the demons saying, well, you know, we could try uh, killing them. And Satan would say, yeah, well, we've tried that, but just look at what happens when persecution really breaks out. Actually, instead of the church being weakened, it's strengthened. Yeah, well, we can lock people up. In, uh, in prison. And Satan says, well, we've tried that. You know, even in places like China where we lock them up for life for um, uh, obeying Christ. The church is growing faster there than in any other country. This doesn't seem to work. And then you can imagine the demons saying, but Satan, we can't actually physically stop people reading the Bible. We can't physically stop people having a relationship with God. And Satan would say, yeah, maybe not directly, but indirectly, perhaps we can. Why don't we keep them busy with all the non-essential things of life? Why don't we make them believe that satisfaction and fulfillment comes from having things? 
make them consume all their time in working to get those things. Make shopping available seven days a week so that they can fulfill the passions of their empty lives. Even in their entertainment, consume them 24 hours a day. Give them endless inboxes of emails. Give them more channels on television than they could ever cope with. Give them social media to make people want to share the most mindless truths. Fill their lives. Even in their exercise and free time, cause them to do things that are so exhausting that they've got no time for anything else. Steal time from their families. Make them too busy to go to church. Make them too busy to go to prayer meetings, but not busy enough to miss the football or the TV or the school sports day. Make them listen to music all the time. Never let them have a moment of silence. Give them iPods. Give them headphones to shut out the world that they're totally consumed in music. Make them think that actually music is an alternative to worship. This will stop them thinking, spending time with God and building that relationship. When they're traveling, when they're on the bus, bombard them with adverts that gives them no time to think for themselves. Even when they're in bed, keep their iPhones pinging with messages and updates that they have to look at. Convince them that everything but church is a priority. And then crowd in so many good and needy causes that are so compelling and have to be addressed that they've got no time to study the word. Yes, say the demons, that will absolutely work. And do you know what? It does. Doesn't it? We live in a world today that is just running at a million miles an hour. I started off planning this sermon with the title Commitment Costs because we'll be looking at the price that Stephen paid for his commitment. But as I was going through preparing it, there was also another title that I thought, and that is that busyness destroys. In the words of uh, Brooks from the uh, Shawshank Redemption, the world has gone and got itself awfully busy. If you don't know the film, Brooks was a, uh, a guy that was locked up pretty much for life. Um, spent all his time in prison, went into prison even before the motor car had uh, really been invented, was released very late in life, and he was horrified to see how the world had got itself in such a big hurry whilst he was uh, locked up in prison. And if you think back only a few decades what the world was like, we're in a very, very different world now, aren't we? And it's a world that 
has some fantastic technologies for sharing the gospel, for uh, understanding the truths, but those technologies also suck time out of people and can be so badly used. There's a saying that the devil makes work for idle hands to do. But I think the devil also brings busyness and uh, brings uh, work for those that are so consumed in what they're doing. I can see a lot of you nodding and going, yeah, I can, uh, I can associate with that. And in a, if only we were less busy, if only we had less to do, if only there were less pressures in the world. But I want to challenge you on one thing. Do you think busyness in itself is wrong? I don't. See, I actually believe that God created us to be busy, to be occupied. Not to be busy to the extent that we're kind of exhausted, but he wants us to be fulfilled in the things we do. He has a purpose for us, not just to sit around uh, lounging and doing nothing. There is no sin in being busy. The question is, what are we busy with? What do we fill our time with? You know, the more and more people, um, more and more people recently, when I uh, say to them, oh, how's, how's your week been? How's, how's it been? Oh, it's been terribly busy. Just haven't had a, a moment to myself, and I, I guess I'm guilty of this as well at times. Sorry, I can't come to house group. I can't come to the prayer meeting. I can't come to church tonight. I'm just too busy. There's too many other things on. Busyness becomes a problem when it takes our eyes off the main thing. And here we have, in the early church, what I believe is Satan trying to destroy the relationship with his early church by bringing to that early church too many things to do. Here we have the apostles starting to hear moans from the church where they're saying we're failing in our work to feed the widows, feed those that need feeding. There's too much to do. The, um, these, this group of widows over here, they're being neglected, they're not being fed. You can just imagine it now. Uh, you know, Mrs. Jones down there has, uh, has not had her meal for the last two days. Uh, what, are you do, what are you going to do about it, leaders of the church? And I guess it wasn't just uh, feeding, it was other practical things, it was housing, you know, uh, you know, the stable needs uh, a re-roofing and, uh, you know, there's replastering to do and, uh, you know, there's all these kind of things that have to be done to feed the needs of the people. And, you know, there's nothing wrong in that. But what was happening was the apostles recognized that in taking on all this extra load... They were neglecting prayer and the preaching of the word. Or there was that risk, at least. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about busyness and the tasks 
that we have in front of us. A couple of weeks back, we looked briefly at the parable of the rich farmer. Do you remember that? The farmer who worked and worked and worked and uh, um, built bigger and bigger barns to bring in the harvest that he'd gathered. Now, I don't know if you remember back to it, what was the farmer's motivation for doing more and more? Well, if you don't remember, homework, look it up, but I'll just remind you. His motivation was, once I've got enough, I'll be able to sit back and enjoy myself and relax. Let me let you into a secret. You will never have enough of things of this world. The game is completely rigged against you. No matter how much you do, there will always be more to do. No matter how much you have, you will always want more. And uh, there's a saying, um, Charles Dickens wrote about this, uh, kind of Mr. Micawber um, saying that uh, if your expenditure exceeds your income, you will always be unhappy. And in this life, our expenditure of expectation and desire will always exceed what we can do physically. We will never have satisfaction in things of this world. The game's rigged against you. Sorry. And you only have to look at so many kind of multi-millionaires who die with their lives full of regrets. Full of a wish that they'd done something different. And the apostles in this passage, had to face a choice. What do they do with this unending list of things that they have to do to support the church? They had two choices. Either they got bogged down and did their best to fulfill this unending need of stuff or find a different way. They were very much going through kind of growing pains of a new church. They had gone from just, in a few short years, months even, from just a few people gathered together to many thousands. Many thousands. And somebody, I couldn't find out exactly who it was, but there were some pretty wise words in it, so I'm I'm going to quote it. Somebody's looked at what the... uh, challenges of a growing church are. And I want us to to take real note of these for our situation here at LBC. First of all, in a growing church, there's a risk that there becomes an uncertainty of purpose. Because with that growing becomes constant busyness, daily decisions, ever-pressing needs that can cause a church to lose its original purpose. And tongue-in-cheek, I was mentioning things like stable roofs and plastering. And and these things can encroach on what our primary mission actually is. Secondly, there can become a danger of fuzzy priorities. Because as the church grows, there's more and more things to do. So what is the the real um, priority? 
And there's a real risk that urgency replaces importance. And here we have, in Acts 2, the urgency of people needing feeding, physically, was taking over the importance of people being fed spiritually. Thirdly, there's a tendency towards professionalism. As churches grow, they want to do, and rightly so, do a good job. So what do they do? They recruit those who work in sound to be in charge of the sound desk, to do a professional, a perfect job. They recruit those who are experts in IT to manage SongPro and do an excellent job. They recruit those who are gifted in catering to do the catering stuff. It becomes an exercise in professionalism. More of that later. But in doing that, there's a real risk. There's a loss of individual significance. People become consumers of that professional approach and lose the wholeness of the body. You can see that in the big kind of megachurches that grow up. But this is not what God intends for his church. God says the church is the body of Christ. And we're all part. And what happens to the, that body if the eye says, you know what, I'm not going to be an eye. Or the leg says, I don't fancy being a leg today. The body is so much less of a body as a result. Now, the apostles determined that the right answer, and this absolutely was the right answer, was that they said, we need to focus on the calling that we have, and that is to preach the word of God. So we need to bring around us um, seven men who will be able to pick up the other workload, because that's important as well, but we've got to get our priorities right. Now, I don't know if you noticed, what was the kind of job qualification for these seven men who were going to be waiting on tables. Was the job qualification that they were expert waiters, master chefs? No, it wasn't at all, was it? For these people who they were selecting to be waiters of tables, they were looking for people who were full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. No other experience required, full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if uh, we looked upon, you know, our recruitment uh, into roles that need fulfilling in the church, if we looked at that as the criteria, other than, do you know what, I don't really feel as if I'm somebody who can cut the lawn, that's not my thing. I don't really feel as if I'm somebody who can help out with the youth work, that's not my thing. All God calls us is to be available and to be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And he does the rest. I want you to think just quickly about our vision that we've been working on over the, uh, the past few months, our vision for LBC. And I hope that as kind of we go through this book of Acts, The reasoning why we had this particular focus, why that's so important. 
there were a number of conversations and really healthy debates that we had as we tried to put this wording together about, is this too much centered on on kind of ourselves and, and our, our kind of trust in God and our belief? Should we not have a vision that is about going out into the world and, and, and doing things? And when you look at what the apostles of the early church set as their priorities, they said our priority is to prayer and the ministry of the word. And that's exactly what we've tried to encapsulate here. If our vision is one of being a church that is led by the Holy Spirit and his revealing of the word that is Jesus, empowered through prayer and the other things, then we're able to serve God in a committed way. Get our priorities right. First focus on the ministry in the word and then all other things follow. And, uh, you know, personally, I was kind of resisting having things that were too specific in the vision about moving out into the community. Because who knows what God will lead us to. Our vision should be one of trusting in him, walking in discipleship, and waiting to see what happened. And, you know, it's pretty interesting, isn't it, that Stephen... This man who was recruited at, uh, at, I suppose, it was the kind of first church meeting, wasn't it, really, where everybody uh, kind of voted and they all thought that it was good and, uh, and they appointed these guys. But it's interesting that Stephen, who was appointed to be a waiter of tables, ended up doing almost anything but. <laughs> we see that Stephen... Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, because he was full of faith, and because he was open to the directing of, of God, actually was led into works that were miraculous, that were astounding signs of, of God's power, and that he had such a boldness and ability to speak out God's truths, so much so that he got the backup of the Sanhedrin and really annoyed them. So here's a guy that was called to wait on tables, but he's really making waves in speaking out the truths of God. So as we look at kind of working through this vision, as we look at what that means for us as individuals and our walk of discipleship, we should be open to be committed to almost whatever God calls us to. And that might be to support Tim on the sound desk. (laughs) And it might be to um, work on Song Pro. It might be to cut the grass. It might be to teach. It might be to take a position and a stance in your place of work to speak out for God. It might be to help instruct our young people. It might be to open up your homes to those that need it. Who knows? What's for sure, though, I really believe that God is calling us into exciting times now. Really exciting times. It's like we've got a, a, a kind of new chapter unfolding for us. And I, you know, when I was praying through the, um, the motto text for, for this year, it was nearly a year ago that I was praying that through. And God 
I believe, really uh, put on my heart that, A, we were to look at the life of the early church, but that phrase, wait for the gift, my Father's promise, just would not go away. And I really believe that God is, is ready to pour out gifts upon us if we're willing to stand in faith and full of his Holy Spirit. There's just so many things that are coming together that make this time, I think, really, really exciting for us. And if we're prepared to participate in that, the only qualifications are to be full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, and faith. It's all God asks. Because he will do the rest. And we can see that with Stephen, a man who, I don't know how educated he was, but, you know, He'd been put aside to wait on tables. And yet the Sanhedrin could not argue against the wisdom that was given by the Holy Spirit. Wow. Fantastic, isn't it? Now, you know, we must expect opposition. We have it pretty easy, don't we, at the moment, in this country, particularly in Lim, we can meet together, we can sing God's praises, we can speak out for the truth. Many countries you can't do that. Be under no illusion that that will not carry on forever. If you've read the, uh, the end of the book, then you'll know fine well that there are coming times of real testing. Whether that's in our lifetime or whether that's hundreds of years in the future, but there will be opposition. And we can see signs of that already, can't we? We can see signs where people who own cake shops are no, now no longer able to refuse to decorate cakes with messages that are against what their beliefs are. There are churches that are being forced to engage in uh, marriage, same-sex marriages. We'll not be in the position, I believe, forever of being able to pick and choose what our church building is used for. What we're allowed to say, not say, from the front. But what is for, for uh, absolute certainty, God gives his Holy Spirit that nobody will be able to stand against the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives us. No power will be able to defeat the truth of God. It might get difficult. And boy, did it get difficult for Stephen. He stood up and he spoke out and he paid the price. And there are many of our brothers and sisters around the world who are standing up and paying the price right now. If we are not full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom, do you know what will happen? The things of this world will crowd in. All of a sudden, that busyness will become more important and more relevant than standing up in the awkward place. We have to get busy 
with those things of God. Now, I thank you so much for your kind words and your wishes this morning. It was so touching. Don't deserve it. I really don't. But throughout this last 12 months or so, despite the fact that I've had to juggle a full-time job, a family, church, and all that goes on behind the scenes there, not just kind of the preaching on a Sunday morning, trying to uh, set time aside for um, exercise, put time aside to spend with God. That's a, you know, a tricky thing. But you know what? The Bible says that in God's time scale, a day is like a thousand years, and somehow God manages to expand time when we entrust it to him. And I've just been so blessed with having the time to do the things that I've needed to do without feeling stressed at all. Even miraculously, this year, I think, I've not suffered a single illness. A single bout of cold or, or being laid low. Even when I did, on a holiday, pull a, a muscle uh, massively in my back, trying to hitch the caravan up to the car. And I thought I'd be out for weeks. Two days later, I was up and fully well. Now, I'm not saying that in any way to boast, except in the faithfulness of God. That if we make ourselves available, he's faithful. So, commitment costs. It's hard. It's not a walk in the park. It involves being busy for God, but being busy on the right things. Commitment will cost because ultimately, you know, the highest price will be paid one way or another. But what happened when Stephen was stoned? He looked up, he saw heaven opened, and he saw God and Jesus. Is that not what you want to do with your lives? See heaven opened upon your life, upon the life of the church? All it requires is to be willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to take his wisdom, and to walk in faith. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose. I thank you, Lord, that throughout your word we see that plan being worked out. We see how you took men who were perhaps not, in human eyes, the first choice. And through your Holy Spirit, you turned them into people who uh, wonderfully fulfilled your mission. Lord, as a church, we pray that as we move into this next chapter, Lord, we would keep the main thing in focus. We would keep in focus the prayer and the ministry of the word so that everything else would follow. Lord, help us as a church not to be too wrapped up in things that just add to busyness. Help us to be occupied in stuff that brings about your kingdom. In Jesus' name.
Amen.